This morning's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Listen to the word of God. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Mike. Won't you bow your heads and pray with me for just a moment? Lord, it's time for us to receive a word from your words. And so we pray that our heart would be open, our mind would be attentive, our soul would be receptive. And that you, by your spirit, through your word, might touch us, encourage us, challenge us to be your people. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Tim Norris has an 18-month-old Labrador retriever, chocolate lab, named Wilson. Uh, Tim Norris also lives next door to a golf course, the Ashdown Gardens Golf Course in the UK. And one morning, uh, Tim let his dog out to do his morning business and really wasn't paying attention, but then he noticed that Wilson was no longer in the backyard. He found the gate had been left open. Wilson was now on the loose. And so Tim began walking around, calling for Wilson, trying to locate him. He finally found his dog on the golf course with a golf ball in his mouth. And so Tim ran to the dog and said, drop it, drop it. But it was too late. Wilson swallowed that golf ball whole. And now Tim is worried about his dog. So he he puts his dog in the car, takes him up to the vet, and the vet does an x-ray. And they discover Wilson has not eaten one golf ball. He has swallowed seven of them. And the vet explains, you know, an 18-month-old Labrador Retriever will eat just about anything. You've got to really be careful and watch them. And uh, for whatever reason, Wilson must have had a taste for golf balls. And uh, the vet explained that they really needed to do surgery to remove those golf balls because trying to pass those through his digestive system would be very dangerous and probably would kill the dog. And so they did the surgeries and removed the golf balls. A local paper uh, picked up on the story and reported on it. And uh, Tim now uh, puts a muzzle on his dog when he lets his dog out to be in the backyard and he's also looking to move to a house further away from the golf course. Wilson is doing much better after the surgery recovering uh, but there are some days when he's not quite up to par. Oh come on, you knew I was going to do that, right? Welcome back to a series we started a few weeks ago called Every Player Needs a Coach. And we're looking at the role that the Holy Spirit has to play in your life and in my life as followers of Jesus. You know, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. The same Spirit who was in Jesus, the Spirit of the, the Heavenly Father, is now dwelling within us to teach us and remind us and empower us and to, to help us remember that we are indeed beloved children of God. And we're looking at how that that expresses itself in our our lives and how the Holy Spirit works within us. And have you noticed, though, that 
as we try to live out this life, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, we struggle sometimes. Am I the only one? Does anyone else have a struggle? There is within us this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is He is making us new. But there's also within us this, this old nature, this sinful, selfish nature, also within us, right? The, that affects our moods, that sometimes allows us to give in to temptations, that causes us to make promises and resolutions that then we don't follow through or keep. What's, uh, what's true today and what we're going to look at this morning is how the Holy Spirit wants to help us, but there's also this other side, the, the, the sinful nature that we read about in Scripture. And there's really this war going on inside of us between what the Spirit wants and what our selfish, sinful nature wants. And how are we as Christians supposed to live out the life we're called to live while we're still struggling with who we once were and, and, and who we sometimes want to still be? To help us with this, let's turn to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. If you brought a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. There may be Bibles in your pews, or you can just listen real careful. But Galatians, as as we said before, these are letters. Sometimes we refer to them as books, but they're actually letters. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians living in the ancient city of Galatia who are dealing with this struggle between the, the flesh and the spirit. And uh, these Christians, on the one hand, recognize they're a new person in Christ. They have a new power, a new identity, a new attitude. They, they recognize now that, that, that they're no longer living for themselves. Christ is living with them. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. And that's, that's how we're supposed to live as well. And these Christians are trying to live that way, but they still find they have conflicts and difficulties. And sometimes they say and do things that they wish they, they wouldn't. They realize there is this struggle going on. Sinful thoughts and patterns of behavior. The conflict between the old person they once were and the new person they want to become. And so the Apostle Paul writes to instruct them on how to overcome this sinful nature. Have you noticed how easy it is to slip back into old habits and old patterns and old ways of behaving? The the old self, the old sinful nature just has this natural pull on us. And have you noticed how so many things in our world today, TV commercials, movies, magazine articles, the the attitude and philosophy of this world and what this world says you need to do in order to feel happy and fulfilled and get your needs met, they all seem to to try to get us to focus on the old sinful nature, the the selfish nature that, that is within us, that's battling with the Spirit. This is nothing new. The early Christians struggled with this as well. And so... uh The Apostle Paul wants to help these early Christians and by extension help us deal with this battle. So let's pick it up in verse 16. Notice what it says here in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Notice what it says here. The the sinful nature is still within us, right? This This is the point we're making. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, it doesn't, the, the, the Spirit, He doesn't kick out the old sinful nature. He just moves in alongside the sinful nature and then wants to help us learn to overcome the sinful nature by the power that the Spirit provides. But then look at the next verse, verse 17. Let's read this out loud together, shall we? For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. Here's what Paul wants us to see. These two spirits within us are our selfish sinful nature and the 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that now resides in us are in conflict with each other. And notice the words he uses here, the word desire. In fact, in these first two, ver- these two verses we're looking at, he uses the word desire either explicitly or implicitly four times because see, this is how our sinful nature works. On our desires. Through our desires. It's not that all desire is evil, but some desires we have are not good for us. And those are the desires that tend to want to dominate and control us. And so it's through our appetites and desires that the battle is really being waged between what the Holy Spirit wants us to develop and what the sinful nature wants us to do. The Holy Spirit wants to cultivate godly desires, desires that are healthy and good for us. But the sinful nature wants us to give in to the the lesser appetites, the lesser desires. And so when you and I have this battle going on, it's between the good desires that the, the Spirit wants to cultivate and the bad desires that, that get us into trouble. You know, I can still remember the first time I ever had a cup of coffee. I can still remember that. I was about 13 years old. I was in West Virginia visiting some, some family. My uncle was going camping. I went along with him. And uh, we're around the campfire. It was evening. And he was brewing a pot of coffee over the open fire. And then he poured some out and started drinking. And then he asked me, he said, Mark, do you want a cup of coffee? No adult had ever offered me a cup of coffee before. And there I was sitting by the fire. I tried to act non So, well, sure, I'll have a cup of coffee. So he had one of these tin cups. He poured it and gave it to me. First sip I took, I spit it out. It tasted awful. I couldn't stand coffee. That was my first experience of coffee. My tastes were such that I didn't like coffee at all. Now, I thought, thought about that, and I think about that from time to time, like this morning when I get up early and it's dark out and it's rainy and it's kind of cool. And The first thing I do is I stumble into the kitchen is I go for what? The coffee pot, which I have on a timer, so the coffee's already made when I get to it, right? And I pour it out and I go sit down on a comfy couch and I take that first sip and I can tell you I do not spit it out. In fact, I uh, finished that cup pretty quick and go back for a second cup. And I realized over the years, I have developed a desire, a taste, an affinity, an appreciation for good coffee that I didn't have before. See, that's the way desire works. That's the way taste works. That's the way appetite works. We cultivate tastes, desires, and appetites. And what Paul is saying in these two passages of Scripture, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit wants to cultivate a desire, an appetite, and affinity in you for the things of God, the things that will make you into a certain kind of person, the person God intends for you to be, the person you've always wanted to be. But at the same time, the sinful nature also within you wants to keep you away from that and get you desiring and having an appetite for the things that lead you in the wrong direction. There's a battle going on, and that battle is centered on our appetites. In fact, if you read on in, in Galatians, we won't do it today, the Apostle Paul lists what it's like when we give in to the appetites and desires of our sinful nature. He lists things like sexual immorality, divisiveness, jealousy, envy, fits of rage, drunkenness, hatred. This, this is the natural consequence of a life that gives itself to the desires of the flesh, the sinful nature. This is where it ends up. Over time. But then Paul also talks about when you learn to cultivate the appetites and desires that the Holy Spirit wants to cultivate in your life, 
It leads you in a totally different direction. And he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Next week, Pastor Mark is going to dive much deeper into those qualities we call the fruit of the Spirit. But what I, here's what I want us to see this morning. The quality of our lives comes down to the choices we make. And the choices we make are based on the appetites and desires that we have cultivated over the years. And we have a choice to make about what kinds of appetites and desires we cultivate and live into. And your role and my role and the role of the Holy Spirit within us is to order our lives in such a way that sin no longer tastes good or looks good to us. That's the goal. So that we end up following godly desires to the place where God wants us to go. Now, to to develop those kinds of qualities and to, and to create those godly desires, Christians have relied on a couple of basic spiritual principles and practices we're going to talk about this morning. This is how you fight the war within you. This is how you deal with that conflict, that, that struggle between the desires of the sinful nature and the, the desires of the Spirit. And here's the first one. Engage regularly in the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices. The spiritual practices are the way in which the Holy Spirit cultivates cultivates new desires and attitudes within us. Things like prayer, scripture reading, attending worship with the body of Christ, being in fellowship with other Christians through a small group, being in service to people who are in need. 1 Timothy 4, 7 puts it this way. Paul says, train yourself to godliness. We have to train ourselves. And it's, it's through these spiritual practices that we engage in consistently and regularly that we are training ourselves to have a certain kind of appetite, certain kind of desire. Maybe you remember the old folktale about uh, the, the Indian brave who had a young son who was always getting into trouble, very mischievous. So he took him to the chief and asked the chief to try to talk some sense into his Boy, and, and, the, and the chief was asking this young uh, boy, what, you know, why he was always getting in trouble, why he wouldn't listen to his parents, why he was always just uh, messing up. And the boy says, I don't know, I just can't help it. And the chief says, let me tell you a story. He says, within me as the chief, within me there are two wolves. One is a good wolf, and he wants to do what is right and noble. The other is a, a bad wolf, and he wants to do what's evil and destructive. And these two wolves within me are fighting all the time. And the little boy asks the Indian chief, he says, well, well, which wolf is winning? And the chief smiles and says, whichever wolf I feed. See, my friends, it is through the spiritual practices. It is through those regular, consistent things we do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to stay connected to God, stay growing in His Word, stay serving others, keep our mind focused on the things of God. That's how we feed the good wolf. And so that leads our desires in the right direction. We must dedicate ourselves to spiritual training. Have a regular quiet time with the Lord every day. Attend worship on the Sabbath. Be in a small group. Be in ministry and service. This is how we live into the life God has for us. These are not options for the Christian who is serious about becoming the person God wants us to be. These are the necessities for becoming that person. Jesus did all this. Jesus had a regular quiet time. The Scripture says he, when, when it was early in the morning, He went off to a quiet place to be alone with God. Over and over again, we find Jesus getting away, away from His busyness to be quiet with the Lord. He attended worship regularly. It says He would go to the temple 
Or he'd go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his habit, his custom. Jesus was consistent in the regular worship with the family of God. He was in a small group. His twelve disciples were his, his traveling companions and his, his small group. And, and of course, Jesus was in ministry and service to people all the time. These are the disciplines we engage in to train ourselves to godliness, to cultivate the kind of desires God wants us to have. But here's the deal. Spiritual disciplines are easy to do. Aren't they, really? You can get to church most Sundays, right? Easy to do. You can get up a little earlier and have a quiet time or find 15, 20 minutes out of your day to have a quiet time with the Lord. Most of us could probably find a way to do it. It's fairly easy to do. But here's the other side of that. Easy to do is also easy not to do. Have you noticed that? Easy to do is easy to neglect. Easy to do is easy to let slide. Easy to do is easy to let drift. read a book not long ago called Chop Wood, Carry Water by a guy named Josh Medcalf. Fascinating book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. It's about a... A guy named John who, when he turns 18, travels to Japan. He has a dream, a lifelong dream, to become a great samurai archer with the bow and arrow. So he enrolls in a a samurai school up in the hill country of Japan. And he gets there and uh, he meets his teacher, his sensei, a guy named Akira. And Akira's job is to help John become a great samurai warrior. And as, as John gets settled into his dormitory, he meets with his teacher for the first time. And the teacher gives him his, his job. He's going to be chopping wood and carrying water every day, multiple times a day. That's his role at the school for the entire first year he's there. Chop wood, carry water. And he's, he's asking his sensei, he's asking his teacher, when, when, when do I get my bow and arrow? When, when do I get to do target practice with the other students? Chop wood, carry water. Chop wood, carry water, every day. When, when do I get, to, get to, to learn how to be a great samurai warrior? Chop wood, carry water. And about several months into this, John is sick of it. You know, he doesn't want to get up early and go chop wood and carry water all day. And he argues with his sensei, he just doesn't want to do it anymore. And then his sensei explains, this is essential to your training. And, and so, so John forces himself to do what he doesn't want to do because he knows it will help him become what he's always wanted to become. And what he discovers as he's chopping wood and carrying water is he's developing muscles in his shoulders, in his chest, in his arms that he will need to have to be a great warrior. That as he's chopping wood, he, the way he has to stand is the way he has to stand when he uses an arrow. And, and the ability to force himself to do something that he doesn't feel like doing but he, he's committed to doing anyway starts to shape the character and the mindset necessary to be a great samurai warrior. This chop wood, carry water, while it seems like some mundane thing that he's sick of doing, is actually preparing him to be the person he's always meant to be. Brothers and sisters, there are times in your life and my life when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, it's going to feel like chopping wood and carrying water. i got to get up early and pray again today. Read my devotional again today. Some of you didn't feel like coming to church today. And some of you came, and you came... And it was just like, eh, chop wood, carry water. But you're here. And what we don't always realize is that over time, God is using our consistent involvement and commitment with the spiritual disciplines to shape us and form us into the people we're meant to be. To change our attitude, change our desires, change our understanding of who we are and what life is all about. Yeah, the spiritual practices can seem like drudgery on some days, but on other days we realize, no, God is 
developing me into the person I'm meant to be. There, there, there's one point in the story where John argues with his teacher uh, that, that he's, he just doesn't want to do this anymore. He's tired of chopping wood and carrying water, and uh, someone else needs to do it. He's ready to go on to the next level and start shooting at targets. And, and the sensei says, no, 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 you, you need to keep being faithful in what you're doing. And then the sensei quotes Jesus. He says, when you learn to be faithful in the little things, that's when you're ready for great things. That's what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus kind of puts it in the negative. Jesus asks this question. He says, if you won't be faithful in little things, how can you be trusted in greater things? I would suggest to you and me, brothers and sisters, when it comes to fighting this battle within us, this war between the sinful, selfish nature, the flesh, and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, in this battle, the spiritual disciplines are the little things that prepare us for greater things. And if we won't be faithful in the little things, how can God prepare us for the greater things that He has for us? So in your bulletin, uh, if you don't have a daily devotional, I've listed a couple of recommendations, but I'd encourage you to, to spend a little bit more time investigating, finding a devotional that might be good for you. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you to do that. If you're not regular and consistent attending worship, I'd encourage you to make that commitment. Because here's the truth, friends. What you and I choose to do every day is more important than what we only do once in a while. Oh, let me say that again. If you need to write this down, write this down. What we choose to do every day is much more important than what we only do once in a while. Chop wood, carry water. Second key to winning this battle, this inner struggle within us, stay away from the people and places that tempt your sinful nature. Right? See, know your areas of weakness, and we all have them. We all have areas where we're susceptible. If you love golf balls, don't live near a golf course, right? If you love to swallow golf balls. I mean, if you just love golf balls, I guess that's okay. Right? But if you swallow them, right? You remember that old joke about the, the guy who goes to the doctor, and he says, hey, doc, I think I just broke my arm in two places. What do I do? And the doc says, I'd stay away from those places. Friends, there are places that may be okay for some people to go, but you shouldn't go because it exposes you to an area where you're easily tempted. There are people, some folks may be able to hang around, but you find you can't hang around them because when you hang around them, they get just thinking and saying and doing things that aren't healthy for you and you're just easily swayed because it's an area of weakness in your life. See, it's interesting when you read the Scriptures and the Scriptures teaches us how to deal with temptation. Here's what the Scriptures don't teach. The Scriptures don't teach, wade into temptation and trust that you're strong enough. Scriptures don't say, prove how great God is by facing up to your temptation and dealing with it. That's not what the Scripture says. You know what the Scripture says about temptation? It says, flee. Get out of them places. Stay away where you're easily tempted, where you're weak, where you're vulnerable, because you're not nearly as strong as you think you are. Friends, it's not a sign of weakness to avoid temptation. It's a sign of wisdom. Amen? love the story about Muhammad Ali early in his career. Remember Muhammad Ali, the great boxer? Some of you do. Some of you younger ones are, huh? Great boxer, Muhammad Ali. And he was known for his big ego, kind of braggadocious. Anyway, he's on an airplane that's getting ready to take off. And, uh, the, you know, the uh, flight attendant's going down the aisle, making sure everybody's got their seatbelt and she gets to the champ and uh, his seatbelt isn't on. And so she just politely reminds me, uh, excuse me, sir, you, you need to buckle up before we take off. And Muhammad Ali looks at her, he flexes his muscle. He says, 
Superman don't need no seatbelt. Without skipping a beat, the flight attendant says, yeah, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. So buckle up or get off the plane. Right? Can I tell you something? When it comes to temptation and sin, you're not Superman. And neither am I. And God in His wisdom has given us the spiritual principle of avoiding those areas where you're naturally tempted to, to give in, to make poor decisions. See, it's easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist it. We're trying to order our lives in such a way that sin no longer looks good to us. I remember, I lived in a fraternity house when I was in, in school, in uh, college, true confession time. And uh, we had a guy who was a sophomore, I was a senior. Uh, one of our fraternity brothers, a sophomore, had moved in the fraternity house. And uh, they always kept uh, beer on tap in the basement, you know, and... Uh, this guy started drinking more and more and more, started skipping class. He, he, he just developed an alcohol problem. And, uh, you know, he tried to have us brothers try to help him. And, you know, we tried to monitor him and, you know, encourage him to stay away. But he, he still, he just couldn't have a beer. It ended up being half a dozen beers and then a dozen beers and then passing out. And finally, he, uh, he had to move out of the house. And he had to drop out of the fraternity. And that was the smartest thing he could have done. Because he found himself in an area where he was vulnerable. And he figured out, I just can't fight this. I've got to get away from it. It may not be alcohol with you, but, but some of you have a relationship that's getting very close to being inappropriate. And you need to cut that off. Some of you are drifting toward websites that you know are not instilling good and honorable thoughts in your mind. And you need to get away from that. Some of you are engaging in habits and behaviors that slowly over time are causing you through your sinful desires to go in a direction that's not healthy or good or right for you. And you need to be aware of that and not say, I'll just be stronger. I'll just work harder at my self-discipline. And you need to simply say, I just need to avoid that because I end up not liking the person I'm becoming when I'm around that. Can I get an amen on that? So here's the deal. There's this war going on in between us, in, in, within us, between the spirit and the flesh, between the person God wants us to be and the person we sometimes end up being, and it's not the same. And so in order to, to fight the good fight, we have to train ourselves toward godliness. We've got to chop wood and carry water. That means the spiritual disciplines need to be taken seriously and engaged in regularly. And then we also need to be aware of those areas where we're weak and stay away from them places. And then finally, when we do stumble and fall occasionally, rely on God's grace and mercy. Because we will stumble and fall occasionally. We will make poor choices occasionally. We will give in to temptation occasionally. But a temporary setback doesn't have to be a permanent defeat. Nobody leave here today full of guilt and shame for past poor decisions. Leave here with hope and conviction that your future can be better than your past because God has a great future for you and you can become the person you're meant to be if you let God cultivate the right desires in you. If you start to order your life so that sin no longer looks good to you, when we take responsibility for our mistakes and apologize and ask God's forgiveness and deal with the painful consequences and recommit ourselves to doing better, we discover God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's based on Jesus' performance on the cross so that through Jesus we have forgiveness and newness of life. It's not through our own strength and willpower. It's not through our abilities. It's through what the Spirit is trying to do within us. We can't live the God-honoring life on our own. 
There is a war going on with our sinful nature. The only way we win that battle is through dependence on the Holy Spirit and then trusting in God's mercy and grace when we have a temporary, a temporary setback. And that's why I think the sacrament of Holy Communion is so important for us. Because as we take the bread and the cup, we remember what Jesus did for us. So we don't have to spend our time wallowing in guilt and shame and condemnation. But we can learn from the past and get stronger for the future. You know, it was interesting last... Uh, we do communion every uh, Sunday night here as, as part of our Sunday night service. We had a, a woman come last Sunday night, uh, a guest. She, she wasn't part of our church. And after service, she, uh, she had kind of a, an emotional uh, experience. And uh, I talked to her for a little while. And uh, she, was, she was saying, she said, I've messed up so bad I, I couldn't bring myself to take communion. I'm not worthy to take communion. And I said to her, hey... None of us is worthy. That, that's the whole point of communion. If you think communion is where you come to say, I've done pretty good this week, here's my reward, you got it all wrong. We come to communion to say, there's a battle going on in me, and I need all the help I can get. And sometimes i got to remember, there is grace and mercy available to me that I desperately need. And so, in this war, we invite you to come. To remember who God is and who we are because of that. Friends, we need to fight the good fight. We need to endure like a good soldier. We need to train ourselves to be godly. We need to chop wood and carry water. We need to be aware of the places and people that tempt us to do the wrong thing and stay out of them places. We need to order our lives so sin no longer looks good to us. And when we occasionally stumble and fall, we need to rely on the mercy and grace of God. That's how we fight the fight. That's how we walk in the Spirit. That's how we become the people we were meant to be.